and grand panorama, full media, earthquake, lightning, fire, smoke, loud horns, noises, and a complete company of angels. And all the people saw the thunderings, this is Exodus 20, verses 18 and 19, and the lightnings, and the noise of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you go up into the fire, man. No, they said, they said please make it stop. We're going to die if he keeps talking to us like this. Well, if I heard God speak directly, maybe I'd believe. If I walk with Jesus, maybe I'd believe. Yeah, well, maybe if you'd heard God speak directly, you'd be dead. There's an option. You talk to us. Unless, you know, in case we die here. So, Moses, in, in his final messaging, in a, in a recap, in a recap of of what had transpired in their journey reminds them of this. And he says, uh, this is Deuteronomy 8, 18, verse 15 through 17, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken, according to all that thou desirest the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. I got a book on my bookshelf about people who make their life pursuit of Christ trying to run around to churches where miracles are happening and lightnings are striking um, left turns. Okay, now I, I guess it's cool to see manifestations like that, but chasing fire isn't the Christian life. Being on fire is. Recognizing the inner work of Christ and walking and behaving accordingly is. Being on fire for God. Yeah, let me, let me not see this, this great fire anymore, that I die not. And the Lord said unto them, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. Hmm. Note what God says. Their request of an intermediary was a wise thing. And Moses says, You asked for it. God said He's going to send it. He's going to send a prophet. Like I am a prophet. Just think about that for a minute. Moses took out Egypt. And at some instances, he didn't, even, he didn't even bother doing it himself. Pharaoh talked toward Moses, and Moses just looked at Aaron. And then Aaron did something, you know? And then a plague came down. You want to keep talking? You want me to raise my staff? I don't think so. He led an entire people from slavery to freedom. Prophet like unto me, shall the Lord thy God raise unto you amongst your brethren, him shall ye hearken. Verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. I do what I see the Father doing. I say what the Father tells me. As in these last days spoken to us through his son. And it shall come to pass that whosoever think about this, this is Deuteronomy, it's okay. <coughs> Jesus took like, I don't know, two, three little blades out of Deuteronomy and smoked the devil in the wilderness after not having eaten for 40 days. 
So I wouldn't disparage Deuteronomy, right? <laughs> well, that's not Ephesians. Ain't no armor of God in that verse, brother. I mean, okay. <laughs> whosoever will not... See, we like the whosoever in John 3.16. Yeah. <laughs> we like that whosoever, right? Yes. We're like, hey, anybody who believes can be saved. And then once we accept that, we think, well, you know, we're not at risk if we disregard it. Oh, wait a minute. Whosoever will not hearken to my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. See, in these last days, he speaks to us through the Son. <laughs> we can't, we will not have the privilege of, oh, I didn't get that message. I missed that memo. Well, he didn't say to me, no, 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 no. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. You must have not got that memo. <laughs> I, I missed the meeting. <laughs> you know. um, John 7, Jesus stands in the temple. It is um, the last day, I believe, of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a high occasion in the temple. And they're performing the ceremony of the waters of salvation. They've gone to the pool of Siloam with a golden pot and they're bringing it into the temple. And it's a very, it's been a very lively moment. There are, you know, palm leaves and myrtle leaves uh, being waved in it. But then it gets hushed and quiet because the priest is going to pour out this water at the altar. And the Jews understood this as a promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and salvation coming through. And at that very quiet moment, Jesus stands in the middle and yells. He cries out. See, we gotta we gotta look at uh, we we have to look at the original language now and again to get the right volume signature. It wasn't like you know in the middle of this thing, then in, in the middle of the silence, Jesus says, "Hey, you're thirsty, you know? I'm, I'm right over here." The priest is pouring this out, and he stands up and he's like. If any man thirst! <laughs> yeah. Let him come unto me and drink. No way who he was. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this was the poor verse out of Isaiah, I think, 2 2 that this whole ceremony is built around. And he spake this of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why? Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, we pause for a technicality. Okay? Just a review of the record, because it's important um, a lot of things happen in Pentecostalism. A lot of opinions fly about. And it's very, it's very important to get the technicalities correct so that we get we get so that our faith is in the right direction to get full benefit of what God has done. I'm not gonna point you out, Joel, but welcome. <laughs> no one sneaks into church, all are welcome. <laughs> uh, okay, John. John 19. Or maybe it's John 20. 
John 20. And verse 21. This is after the resurrection. He's with the disciples. And in verse 21, then, Jesus, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So, it is a common teaching in, in full gospel circles, charismatic circles, Pentecostal circles. Uh, have you ever heard of the second work of grace? Ever heard that term? The second work of grace. Or, okay, you're born again, but have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? So, a, another terminology out of Scripture is taken, which is baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's given a different definition than what it has in Scripture. When a Pentecostal or a Charismatic said, asks, when we ask someone, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Come on, saints, what are we really asking? Do you speak in tongues? Why don't we just ask that? Why don't we just ask, have you received your prayer language? But no, we change the entire doctrine of God and we say, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, I mean, you've been saved, given eternal life, made uh, an inheritor of heaven forever and ever, son of the Father, redeemed by Christ. Well, now. Have you? Yeah. Have you gone the extra work? Have you received the extra work of grace? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? What we really need to ask. I think they ask it because they don't want to feel, look kooky. I, I think they ask it. I think because they ask they're it. worried about the people that they're asking. They're no. going to think I'm nuts. I think well, they actually believe that they, speaking in tongues is... I think I'm nuts. I, yeah. <laughs> I think they believe that speaking in tongues is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not. So then what did Paul mean when he went to those disciples and asked them that question? Where they said, we believed, and we had the baptism of John, but we weren't baptized in the Spirit. John, John 20 is where this doctrine begins. So the re this is the reason why I start here. And, and it has point and reference to this because of where we wind up. When Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit, the quote-unquote common teaching goes, that is when the apostles received the Holy Spirit, but on Pentecost they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then, as a follow-on, Acts 19 is brought to bear in Ephesus, where Apollos was there teaching only the baptism of John, and have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? Well, no, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. So there are a couple of nuances going on there. But first and foremost, out of the mouth of the Master and the Master's reporter, when was the Holy Spirit poured out? After he was glorified. So is it the, is it the glorified Christ speaking to the disciples, breathing on them and saying, Receive ye the Holy Spirit? No. No. So could, ha could they have been receiving the Holy Spirit as promised by the Father at that point in time? No. No. What about when he was on the mountain and uh, Moses and Elijah were there? Would that not count as being glorified? No. No, because that's not the glory. The glorification, that is a, a, a view of his true identity, but it's not the glory. The glorification is them assuming divinity. The, the aspects of divinity of, of omnipresence. The sun laid down. Gotcha, yeah. Some attributes. He never laid down divinity, but he laid down willingly um, divine attributes. Omniscience omnipotence and omnipresence. 
So as Jesus of Nazareth, he didn't know everything. He wasn't all-powerful. And he was only in one place at one time. But when he was raised, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, And verse 9, now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first to the lowest parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Reassuming, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. Reassuming the glory he laid down to take on the form of a servant, and reassuming omnipresence. And earth time, that took ten days. We live, we live with the impression of immediacy. That a miracle only qualifies if it's like that. God always has a process. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in a single breath. And all was done. And it was immediate. And it was a miracle. No. No. <laughs> That's not how it went. He took his time. He made time and then took the time to build the times and the world we stand on. Which, that's cool. But, I mean, that, okay, it's so, like that. So, so, going back to the outpouring uh, of the Holy Spirit thing, so yes. is it possible to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues? It's reverse. It's impossible. It's impossible to be born again and not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So it's a definition of terms. Yeah. So Titus. I love rabbit rails. Alright. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he what? Saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Washing. Washing. That's a baptism. I could take you into the Greek and show that to you. But by the washing, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, what we've done is, we've called, this is, okay, what does it mean to be baptized in water? I mean, in practical terms, what happens when oh, you're baptized? You, get in water. you what? Get dunked in water. You get dunked in the water. See, what we've done with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to compare it to water baptism, We've called the guy standing soaking wet outside of the baptismal as baptism, not the actual baptism as baptism. Being wet on the riverbank isn't being baptized. Being in the river is being baptized. Being wet on the riverbank is evidence that you've gone through a baptism. Whoa. Are you with me? Okay. So being baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be washed, to be immersed, to be cleansed in the Holy Spirit. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning the spirits, faith, miracles, and healings are being wet. 
are, are being anointed. Okay? Are you with me? Um, I've kind of heard synonymously with baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, I've been filled with the Spirit. So, like, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes and lives, lives inside of you, you're baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an empowerment, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills you up and empowers you. As a as a secondary, so so not that, that it's not it's still connected, but right. It's a second. So that that's where and, and this is why I said it's you know it's it's a it's a timeout for technicality. Yeah. Because what occurs with saints in my experience and and in ministering the Holy Spirit for going on four decades now, is that they wait for something that God has already done. Jesus said, "Out of his belly shall flow." So being born again is being filled. Speaking in tongues is flowing out. Well, I know it personally. Like I was born again when I was around five years old, mm -hmm. and I received uh, speaking in tongues in the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was around sixteen. So, yeah. I, all right. It was like God has given me that gift, but I hadn't fully received right. everything He had for me. And, and yeah. so now we're back. So that's all have the distinction. Yeah. So we're all the way back to Acts nineteen. Yeah. Is when when Paul meets these 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 men who had been saved, but they had any time the apostles encountered people who had been saved but had not evidenced spiritual manifestation, they said, okay, so what's up with this? In the case of um, uh, Antioch, Assyria, it was demonic oppression that was holding people back that they dealt with. In Acts 19, it was just simple ignorance. The question asked is, not have you received... So there are two primary terms. Um... It, when it comes to receiving and in, in Scripture and, and relative to the Holy Spirit, so to demonstrate them, for you to receive, the, put your hands out, for you to receive this book, that is the word decomai. That is to receive as a gift subjectively. Now, if I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit, hold on to that. If I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit, that's taking it. That is lambano. Have you grabbed hold of... Have you grabbed hold of the Holy Spirit since you believe? That's the receive. Would you say there's a distinction like between when you when you breathe on them and said receive the Holy Spirit? I always interpreted that as they received the Holy Spirit at that time, but they had not received the fullness and the baptism of the Holy Spirit as in the day of Pentecost. And that's what I'm trying to show so is two Yeah, but that's that's what I'm trying to show is is that that New Testament new birth and salvation did not occur prior to Pentecost. Yeah. So what he was doing in John 20 was instruction. He was just like he was telling them, just like Luke records, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, wait to be clothed from power on high. When he was instructing them in John, he was instructing them how to grab hold of the Holy Spirit. So then why would you breathe on them? Later, why not just tell late, them? Later on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and the house was filled with a mighty rushing wind. Yeah, breathing in. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, instruction. So, so in our experience, you have this wide breadth of, of saints who have come to saving faith, who have not known the Holy Spirit, who then learn about it, and then walk in this manifestation of the Spirit. You have people whose experience is, is that the, the minute they get born again, it's recorded in the Scripture, and you've met them. Yeah. That they, they speak in tongues. And sometimes they didn't even know, they didn't know what it was that they were doing. Until they read in Scripture. Oh, that's what that is. That sounds familiar. 
So, I said that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was your experience, right? So, so it's very important that that we understand that the Holy Spirit was was poured out not when Christ died. The Holy Spirit was poured out not when Christ was resurrected. The Holy Spirit was poured out not when Christ left the Mount of Olives at the Ascension. The Holy Spirit was poured out when Christ assumed the glory He had with the Father before the world began, when He reassumed the mantle of omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. Yeah, the glorified bodies, I found you, that testified to that. Yep. It was then that the Holy Spirit was dispatched to live in us, to give testimony of Jesus Christ directly in our heart. Very important. That was the first time there was a veil in Acts 2 when to be had, had the Holy Spirit to, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be born again of, your, of the Spirit. Was, that was the first time it was available. That wasn't available back in John. The, and the distinction is, is that in the New Testament saint, it is an indwelling. Just as Jesus was incarnated in the flesh of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son, forever incarnated in the flesh of Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, in essence, incarnates Himself in us. It's an eternal deal, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. What the Old Testament saints experienced was the placing upon, the resting of the Holy Spirit on the saint, which is why David prayed, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Which is why we see Saul, who disobeyed God, and God removed the Holy Spirit from him and put that anointing on David. This is why you see an apportioning of anointings in the Old Testament, from Moses to the 70, a double portion on Elijah, Elisha from Elijah. Okay? It's different. It's different. Upon and in is different. Wait, upon and in, does that still happen? Yes. Because, yeah, because yes. you have the Holy Spirit, and then when you go to prophesy, it comes upon you. And yes. Greater, yeah. Yes. Whoa. This is. She goes boom. Yeah, yeah. This is out of. This is out of the, the the holiest of all. Andrew Murray. He says the Holy Spirit was sent down. I got a typo. Was sent down after the ascension. Why? That he might witness to us a heavenly Christ, and bring the kingdom of heaven into our hearts and lives. See, that's the Jesus that the Holy Spirit speaks for. The King of kings and Lord of lords Jesus, the seated at the right hand of the Father Jesus, the one above all powers and principalities and dominions and thrones and names that can be named. He gives testimony of Christ in heaven in our hearts. That is, that is smoking. <laughs> Question, going back to speaking in tongues, if you haven't been baptized or born again, can you still receive that gift? When you say, no you, no, you have to be born again. Right. Right. A water baptism is a, is a, the doctrine of baptisms is a whole other series. Um, so, but no, it's when you're born again that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming to abide in your heart is the being born from above experience. That's how you're made a new creation. And it's, it's through that means that these different manifestations come, come forward. If you haven't spoken in tongues, does that mean you do not have the Holy Spirit of God? No. It does not. It does not. Okay? 
Because I think didn't it say that they had been baptized in water, or they had received the baptism you know, in the Holy Spirit in Acts. But they hadn't received the. They had not grabbed hold of. Right. Correct. Correct. Well, I mean, the, the Catholics baptize a little baby, would sprinkle water on him, say so he's bapt yeah. baptized in water. Well, he is baptized in water, but he's not saved. Yeah. You know, until he, he accepts Jesus as Lord. And then God, God does that baptism. God places his, his Holy Spirit in that person's spirit. That's a God thing, you know. But we we activate it by by accepting Jesus as Lord, and then God does it supernaturally. The man doesn't do it. I know for me, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was like um, God was laying on my heart to just seek after Him. Mm -hmm. And that one scripture that I kept reading was like, um, if a, a, a bad father would give you know good gifts to his children, how much more would your heavenly father give mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit? Right. Yep. And just you know asking you will receive, seeking with knock you, and the door will be open. Mm -hmm. So I just and just like seeking with the right heart too. And, so just, and then and that's when God gave it to me, like you know shortly after that. So let me ask you. So you were by yourself? Let me ask you about, about your experience, and I know different people have different yeah. experiences when you receive it. But how did it? How did you? How did you feel when you spoke in tongues? Where did it? Where did it feel like it came from? Um, it came from. I felt like it came from the inside, like the inner side of yeah. my being. That's the way I received it. It came out of my belly. It wasn't from my head. It came right up out of here. And, and now, other people feel, other people receive it, they have the feeling, you know, it, that's yeah. my experience, other persons might be different. Yeah, well, it's cool because I was completely alone too when it happened. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's super that's cool. Too. Wasn't just, you know, yeah. Super you weren't, but you weren't yeah. alone. Okay. So, Hebrews 6 lists the doctrine of baptisms as one of the principal or basic doctrines of Christ. The doctrine of baptisms is Christianity 101 when it comes to doctrine. And, and frankly, we have, we have so hosed the doctrine of baptisms that it's no wonder we, we get lost in the street. We get, we get water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, and fire baptism all discombobulated and twisted around each other. So um, we'll see how much of that we get to unravel when we get um, to Hebrews 6, Lord willing. John 7, verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. <coughs> See, it was at this scene, when Jesus did this, that, that many said, whoa, wait a minute. Deuteronomy 18 moment. The prophet has arrived. That's what they're talking about. Okay? This prophet that Moses said would come in Deuteronomy 18, these people in the temple said, Oh, here he is. Others said, No, it's the Messiah. And others said, Really? From Galilee? Come on, give me a break. Ain't no Messiah coming out of Galilee. Um, let alone Nazareth. Are they recognizing that soon? Yeah, must have. Oh, yeah. that makes sense. From Portsmouth? Yeah, yeah. Believe me, good. Come out of Portsmouth. I don't know. There's an anti water joke. I ever heard one. Okay. There was a fantastic Chinese restaurant in Portsmouth. I'd love to eat at it. It's called the Messiah. We do this. You know, we, we read what we can see in the glass darkly. 
and we see prophet and Messiah, or we see um, rapture and and resurrection of the just, then we go, well, is it one or is it the other or is it neither? What is it? Seldom do we say, well, it's both. Their questions and their comments point to their, to their lack of understanding or appreciation of the wider view. They were, ex they were expecting the Messiah, and they were expecting the prophet. And their, and, the same person. Yeah, and their history didn't show them that it was the same person. Their history mostly showed them kings who had prophets. Yeah. Wait, 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 what? Basically, in, in Israel's past, there was a there was always a king who had a prophet. And so they were expecting the Messiah to be another king, and then you, he would also have a sidekick prophet. They didn't think he'd be the same guy. So now he's a king, a prophet, and a high priest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What? He's the whole package. He's lying. The real thing. No, it. And it's three. King, prophet, Messiah. You go. prophet, and king. Born a savior. Amen. Amen. This guy's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, the law and the prophets are a means to the end. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. I always want to tread carefully when I do this, but this Print on white paper doesn't get you there. If print on white paper could get you righteous, the law would have sufficed. If the scroll would have made you a saint, the law would have been enough. It's like going to school to be a doctor and then never practicing medicine. <laughs> The point of the law was to bring us to Christ. Being with Christ is what being a Christian is. Yes. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> this does not mean that the written word is unimportant. Far from it. But we need to understand that this is simply a means to an end. You know, I, I spent formidable years of my Christian life with a group of people who idolized the Scripture. to the deficit of hearing from the living Lord. The written word took precedence. Yeah, amen. Amen. But you can't, but, but we need the scripture to know God so that we can, when he does talk to us, that we know it's from him and not from another spiritual source. Confirmation. Confirmation. Amen. Alright. Verse 2. Alright. We got to do a verse. Let's pause and reflect. Okay. Verse 2. God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. There's a mouthful. He is the Word. Uh-huh. He is the Word. He is. And, and which Word is He the Word? The Logos. The Logos. He is the Logos. All right. Three points in verse 2. Oh, my gosh. God speaks to us through His Son. The Son is heir of all the Father has. All the Father has, and what does the Father have? 
everything. Carolina Belongs now to who? Jesus. Jesus. The Son was God's agent of creation. It was through the Son that God created, now it says in Hebrews, the worlds. That's the Greek word, aeon. And it's used in a way to represent the created order and all ages. All time, all ages, and what we know as the universe. The sun. Exactly. <laughs> the sun. Now, one reflection of this that we see beyond Genesis 1:1. What did God do in the first day? No, he separated. He separated the light. He said, "Let there be light." Yeah. All the gospels contained in "Let there be light." Everything else is but the details. When did he hang the stars and cause the sun to shine? On the fourth day, on the fourth day, physical light came forth. So what in the world was shining on that darkness? The sun himself was shining. He was the agent of God's creation. Okay? You with me? Yeah. Well, this is fun. This is I love the Hebrews. Jesus was the light. He was the light before the sun. He's like, I'm the light. Or he is the sun. He is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. He really is the light. The light. In heaven, there's no shadows because he's he's he is all the light. There's no shadow. Comes out of everything. In Revelation, the sun and the moon will shine no more. They still shine, yeah, right? Yeah. They'll be abashed. You can't see there. It's like you it's can't like see it yeah. Because of the light. Right. It's like how many stars do you see in the sky now? Oh, oh <laughs> Are they are they there? Yes. Yes. Do we see them? No. no. Why? They're being outshined. They're being upstaged. Oh, sun man. and moon cannot go away because they're the seal of the Davidic covenant. By which Jesus reigns on his throne forever. But that's another story. Oh, wait, that's wait, 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 wait. That's what you're saying. Jump, 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 jump. Here, breath. Yeah. 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 Pop quiz time. Yes. Which book of the yes. Bible did Jesus write? <laughs> yes. Not author. Which book of the Bible did Jesus write? Yes. Not author. Write. Right. He didn't write a single one. Physically right. Oh. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Some yeah. So, if we know that, orchestrate again. How in the world is it that God speaks to us through His Son? Again, it's the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. You can memorize the entire Bible, but unless you are listening to Jesus, you will be in the same state you were, or, God forbid, worse. Like people who study theology, but they all have yeah, a relationship yeah. with Christ. You, you, may, you may be a, um, an ignorant intellectual, or a self-righteous holier-than-thou prick, but you will not be a sanctified 
power-filled Christ follower. Amen? So the practical impacts, or at least some of the practical impacts, of these three magnanimous points in verse 2. Since God speaks to us through the Son, we should listen to Him. God. You think? Yeah. Right? My sheep do what? Hear my, hear my voice. Anytime you say, I don't hear from God much, okay, what you really mean, stop deceiving yourself, what you really mean is, I don't listen to God much. Oh, I told her on that one. <laughs> salt. Okay? Or, or I'm not recognizing that this guy is speaking. My sheep know my voice. There's okay. another saying is, uh, oh, shoot. say that? Yeah. My sheep hear my, my voice. voice. And I, I know them. them. Oh, me. Amen. Thank you. Whoa. Thank you. There's another saying that goes along with that. It's, uh, this is a podcast. This one guy said, you, you know, God loves you because they're saying like, oh, God doesn't love me. All this stuff is happening to me. It's like, God loves you, but do you actually love him? Uh-huh. And that, I feel that's a big thing with Christians. Like, oh, yeah, you know, God loves you, but do you actually love him or are you putting up those pretense? So, I'm glad you brought that up, son, because Scripture tells us why we love him. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. So the level of your passion toward God is directly proportionate to your belief in his love to you. To the degree that you believe God loves you, your heart will respond in kind. And so if you are cold to God, you are in disbelief of his love towards you. He's so good. He is good. He is good. We should listen to him. We should listen to him. God, God boomed from heaven in an audible voice at the Mount of Transfiguration. Josue brought that up. Word of prophecy, maybe, I don't know. And at the Mount of Transfiguration, he was just, you know, God shows up and there's this... Anyhow, Peter's like, whoa, hey, Elijah, I always wondered, you know, did they have knee pads? How did they know? I mean, it's not like they didn't grow up with. I mean, I know what Moses looks like. I saw it in all the children's books. You know, he's got that. You know, I mean, we all know Jesus's clothing, right? He opens his closet. There are seven suits that you know: white, red sash. Oh, Tuesday. Here we go. He only owned one. You know, how do you know? Short beard, long. Right, right. It's like I don't know. Turn him over, and he's yellow and fuzzy on the backside. Yeah, yeah. Which one was bald, Elijah or Elisha? Um, Elijah. 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 Is that the one who appeared, or was it Elijah who appeared? Elijah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think we should know. Pictures. Pictures. <laughs> one of the things. Boom, there he is. That's Elijah. One of the things they, they, uh, that authors talk about, you know, writers talk about all the time when you're trying to craft a story, is point of view. Almost to the point of obsession. Your, your character can only know what it knows and see what it sees. And so we're not told how Peter knew. It was Moses and Elijah. We just know it was. We just know it was. So, if you fill in the blank, if they weren't there and wearing name tags, which I don't think was a practice back in the day. You don't know. <laughs> they had to have been having a conversation. Oh, snap. Moshe, what's happening? What's good? 
What's up, Elijah? You are Jesus. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so... What's up, Jay? Now we're we're back we're back looking at the at the feast of tabernacles right and and it was at the feast of tabernacles Jesus gave the promise of the Holy Spirit here on the Mount of Transfiguration is happening and you know Peter's excited hey let's build some booths let's have sucketh here let's go ahead and tabernacles man we'll do one for you we'll build one for we'll all hang out here we'll just kind of camp out here on this mountain and God says hey that's my boy listen up. <laughs> See, even when he speaks audibly, what he says is, listen to my son. Oh, man. <laughs> listen to my son. God speaks to the son. That's beautiful. We should listen. Amen? All right, next one. Since Jesus is heir of all things, things of eternal value can only come to us through him. Thank you, Lord. Nothing else in your life will provide you the riches that Christ owns. Not your hobby, not your marriage, not your children, not your significant other, not your work. <coughs> Nothing will provide to you riches of eternal value aside from your relationship with Jesus Christ because He is the heir of all things. That's H-E-I-R, which I just pronounced as E-R-R-O-R. -R -R. So don't get confused on audio. Okay? Wait, 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 what? Uh, air. Yeah. Air. 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 English spelling. Right. Okay. So I had a question about that. Mm -hmm. How can Jesus, because obviously Jesus is the heir, and the Bible also says that we are heirs, joint heirs, right. with him. Yeah. How can you be an heir of someone that never dies? Because he did. God he did <laughs> <laughs> There is no last will and testament without the death of the testator. Yeah. So the question was, well, how can you be an heir of someone who doesn't die? Because he did die. In other words, in other words, you don't get, you know, if I I leave something to my grandchildren, uh, and they're not going to get it till I die. That's what he's saying. Our, so it was only die. when he died that we were able to be joint heirs with him. Oh, yeah. Holy God! <laughs> <laughs> why he's the savior? He, yeah, why he's our savior? Because he didn't only just save us from eternal death, but he also so Christ, saved us. That's why Paul says, when, if Christ didn't die, then everything is for nothing. Yeah. If he didn't raise from the grave, everything was nothing. Now, obviously, if he didn't die, he could have been raised from the grave. But yeah, oh, yeah. if Christ is not resurrected, we are most men, uh, of all men most miserable. Actually, if in this life only we have hope. Well, we know we know that's, that's, that's oh. not true because we are from yeah. Amen. How many, we know he's alive. How many people here where the Lord has spoken to you and told you things you couldn't know about somebody else so you could help them. You know, in, in many different ways. And, yep. you know, it's not always that way, but you know. It is the beauty of Scripture. <laughs> it is the beauty of Scripture that the deeper you look into it, the more you see it's connected to itself in, in a multiplicity of ways. The wonder never ends. It just never ends. It's those, those explosions, Joel, that are going through your head. It, that's life in the Word. That is life in the Word. Since Jesus is heir of all things, things of eternal value only come through Him. Only come through Him. 
since Christ created all things, He truly knows us inside and out. He was tempted in all ways like as we are, yet without sin. And because He was tempted, He can have mercy upon us. When we say He knows that our frame is but dust, He really knows our frame is but dust because it is for the potter's hand. But the wonder of the Incarnation is breathtaking. The Son entered His own creation in the weakest, humblest, lowest way He could. Biologically, we are classified as animals. Absent parental care, none of us would make it past the first week. Maybe the first two hours. <laughs> Possibly. That's how Christ entered the world. Completely, entirely, and totally dependent. Absent of any power whatsoever. Weak as a babe. When you fall, he's not surprised. When he picks you up, well, he's being himself. Let's pause for I love Jesus moment. <laughs> Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Ooh. That's like a whole catechism in a verse. One verse, five points. The Son is the full outshining of the Father's glory. He who has seen me I've seen the Father. Yeah, remember right before he went to the cross, he said, glorify your son. For the glory I have with you before the world began. Yeah. When John sees him in heaven, the Lamb comes from the midst of the throne upon which God sits. He comes out of the throne. The Son is the exact imprint of the person of the Father. I do that which I see my father did. This is why God said, you won't make any image. He had an image. Already done. Uncreated. Everlasting. Always existent. That would express. It's a good thing to ask. I have the expression of my glory that they can, that they can live through to come to me. I was reading in Genesis about how he said, if you make an altar to me, you don't put a piece of iron to it and cut any stone. Mm -hmm. It's all natural. Yeah. Altar, all, any altar that they made back to God was a natural stone. They didn't cut it or, yep. you know. And, uh, yep. The Son upholds all things through rhemas of power. Now, this is a... Uh, a slight Anglization of, of a Greek word. I, I didn't make the plural Greek, okay? Ramada, whatever, I don't know. Um, he is the word. Mm -hmm. And you said that word was? Logos. Logos. And what is the logos? The written word. The written word. The logos is 
um, what you might call the full counsel of God. The full counsel of God, okay? Whoa. The entire word. A rhema is a word, a spoken direct word, okay? So what you see is him upholding it. See, there's a difference between the world being established on his word, like a foundation. So that's in stasis. That's boom, set. Upholding it by his powerful rhema is dynamic interface of the creator with the creation to keep it going by specific words of command. John chapter 5. Is it, is it almost like then the logos is the actual words that are spoken and the rhema is the breath that activates your vocal cords to be able to speak? It's one way of thinking of it. The logos is the is the full communication, the full logic yeah. of God's mind. The rhema is the particular piece you need for now. Ah, yeah. the, 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 so, so for instance, um, as, a, as a minor comparative would be, go forth unto all nations is a logos type word, even though that's kind of a rhema. It's a logos type word. Go to Shanghai yes. is a rhema. Uh, that's a direct. Okay. That's you know, it's, it's more personal. It's, 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 we can't find everything we need to do from the Word of God. We find general things. But you know, whosoever disregards His words, I will require it of him. God said, John chapter five, verse forty-five. Jesus spoke, speaking to his contemporaries. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. What did Moses write? They tried to stone him, Isn't that what happened? Huh? Is that what happened? They tried to stone him after he says that? Uh, no, that's in, that's in chapter 10. Oh, no, yeah. but, but they didn't like this either, but that's... Uh, the prophet. Genesis, Moses. Genesis <laughs> Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Well, a couple of songs, but primarily when we talk about the books of Moses, we're talking about the Torah, the law, the five, first five books of the Bible. Jesus said those books are about him. You know how much detail is in there about the building of the tabernacle? You know how much detail is in there about the festivals and the festival season? How much detail there is about how a community is supposed to live uh, together? How much detail there is with regard to... Um, how sacrifices are made and when they're made and why they're made, it's all. It's all. Every single bit of it. Every 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 drop of blood in all those books is about Christ. He said, if you'd believe that, if you'd believe when you walked into the temple, if you'd believed when you sat down to your Passover meal, if you'd believed, thou shalt have no other gods beside me. If you believed any of that, you would have believed me. Verse 47, but if you be not, believe not his writings, if you don't believe his writings, how are you going to believe my words? Okay? The law was our what? Schoolmaster. Schoolmaster. To do what? To bring us to Christ. Look, I don't 
I'm a creationist. I don't care if they dig a fossil out and tell me it is a gazillion years old and it came from some, um, uh, you know, sperm out of, of out of a out of yeah out of a comet that struck Earth. Not buying it. Uh, you know, I don't care how many theologians I read. I just finished the book. I finally made my way through this book from this Oxford scholar who purports to be a theologian who I could just throttle. Theist evolution, you know God that the minute the minute you the minute you you discard Adam and Eve, you disregard the importance of the cross. If Adam is just some symbolism of emergent self consciousness through millions of years of evolution, Christ died for an ape? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I believe what Moses wrote. I believe what Moses wrote. Understanding, knowing, and believe what Moses wrote raises your faith when Christ gives you a rhema to make you an authoritative ex executor, upholder of this age. If death came into the world by evolution, what does that make evolution? Evil. Evil. Damn. Okay. That's why people call it evolution. Evolution. The sun upholds all things through the ramas of his power. It's not. It's not the facts that I dispute. It's their interpretation of the facts that I have a problem with. You know, I don't believe that. It's not that I don't think fossils are there. It's just what they represent. It's a totally different story. The sun himself purged our sin. He purged our sin. And he is seated on the Father's throne at his right hand in heaven. This is what verse 3 tells us. So I want to share with you in closing some thoughts from Andrew Murray out of the holiest of all. The cleansing of sin. Let us learn at the very outset that what God has to speak to us in Christ begins here. Sin must be cleansed away. This is the root thought of redemption. As long as... Emphasis, I added. As long as we seek salvation chiefly from the desire of personal safety or approach the study of Christ's person and word as the revelation of what is true and beautiful and good, we cannot enter fully into its power. We don't come to the cross to be safe from the consequence of sin. We come through the cross to the high priest in heaven, to be set free from sin, to serve the living God. This is Hebrews. It is the cleansing of sin, God insists on, and a desire so intense that he gave his son to die for it. That's commitment. That is commitment. What are you willing to give to make it happen? Everything I have. Earth and heaven. We think of salvation as happening on Calvary's cross. Most of our imagery, most of our talk about repentance and cleansing of sin is there with a dead man on a pole and blood-soaked ground. And so we come to the cross, and 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 we come to the cross. And yet, 
God calls us to experience the fellowship of His suffering and what? The power of His resurrection. So long as we simply remain in the fellowship of His suffering, we will not be set free because that's in the power of His resurrection. So long as we seek the power of His resurrection without fellowshipping in His sufferings, we'll be walking in gifts but not fruitfulness. Our complete salvation is found in relationship with our high priest and king who sits in heaven. This is why the Holy Spirit was given after Christ was glorified. After Christ was glorified. Another quote from, from uh, Andrew Murray. It is not the blood shedding upon earth only. It is the blood sprinkling in heaven and the blood sprinkling from heaven on our heart and conscience that brings the heavenly life to us. And it is this alone that makes us Christian, who not only seek to enter the gate, but who daily press on in the living way that leads ever deeper into the holiest. Amen? Amen. God. Heavenly Father, we give you great praise for your word and for speaking to us through your Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your bread from heaven, your very person, your very presence, your very words, your very sustaining, sanctifying strength. Thank you, Lord, for purging our sin and making us join heirs with you. In your name, amen. Thank you, saints. Thank you. Chara hungoi le la liao waha la si. Me stringe la wa nia ile wahua ishna. Prenum ya mihere waha nyesni le ba stue line. Mawaha le ha shokara ish. Me stringe la wahunka ishe. Prochan kara si le hiao hara waha. Rostrean ki sheya nostro hohali. May shape Larankarashtra Wahongo Ishalema Lesho Wahaletita. I am the mighty one, and you are in my hand. You are my beloved. Who is he who could take you from me? You are mine. I am yours. Stand in the strength and courage of my love, and know that I have you. Know that I know you. Know that I love you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.